0: Let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 1 and dive into this amazing story that Luke relays for us. This story that changed everything, changed human history, and happened in in such unexpected ways. Luke chapter 1. We're in this series, Let Every Heart Prepare Him Room. This, looking at the story through the eyes of those in the story as. God was coming to them. Last week, Jason kicked it off with John the Baptist's perspective and role in all of this and how he needed to understand that his ministry was all about pointing away from himself to Jesus, to the Savior. And that really is a theme here. It's, it's a humbling that has to take place where Jesus becomes preeminent. Jesus becomes excellent. The last thing we would want is to look at these figures in the story of Christmas and miss what they're all pointing to, which is the Savior. That's the whole point here. This is not so that we have these great role models, but so that we see them as role models because they point away from themselves and they point to the Savior. And, and we do, though, want to think about what it means and looks like and takes to get to that sort of Christ-focused, Christ-centered, Christ-exalting mentality and heart attitude Um, and things need to move aside for Jesus to take over like this so as we go to Luke 1 we'll pick it up in verse 26 let me pray for us Lord thank you for your word thank you that you have kindly given us revelation that is Able to point us to life and light and hope and joy and meaning and truth in Christ. Thank you that the word points us to the word. And the life we find there is in the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And I pray that nothing short of a miracle would happen this morning as we look into your word and you work. The Spirit brings a transforming work where our adoration for Christ deepens, our love for others increases, our faith grows. Lord, we pray that you would help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke 1, after we read, I'm going to ask you to bless us with observations, reflections, uh, instruction and exhortation uh, together. So let's, let's get rid of any spectator mentality you may have come in with. You ready? Luke 1, 26. In the sixth month, huh? Yes, the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. In the sixth month, Elizabeth, who's pregnant with John the Baptist, relative of Mary. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. God sends a messenger, it's amazing, it's kind, it's revelatory, it's so important. He sends a messenger. To a city of Galilee, named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said... Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So good. All right, what do you think? What, what do we need to make sure we notice? What struck you as we went through there of particular importance? What do you think? Yes, so Mary's perplexed. Her expression of humble faith did not... Mean she wasn't confused and perplexed and questioning and have doubts. Yes, yeah. so faith includes being perplexed. It includes a process of arriving at faith, but it doesn't mean it lacks being perplexed or confused or having questions and doubts and struggles. Good, good, good. Thanks, Philip. What else? Yes. Good, Mark. There's a beautiful submissiveness in her response. In the midst of certainly all her questions and perplexity not being resolved and answered, she has a submissive attitude. It doesn't await all sorts of details before she's willing to submit. After all, what sort of submission is that? What sort of faith is it if there's no uncertainty? Good. Good, thanks, Mark. What else? Other things you noticed of import? Yeah, Mike. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. I'm not sure what to make of it, but Mary was troubled by the greeting. I mean, it's a good greeting. Yeah. Sometimes people are afraid of angels in the Bible, but this time it doesn't say she was afraid. It says she was troubled by the same. Yeah, that is very interesting. So uh, clearly... Uh, The typical response when someone sees a glorious messenger of God is to get on their face. And the first thing the angel needs to say is, fear not. You can get up. I'm not going to kill you even though I can see why you would think I might in light of how glorious I am and stunning, right? That's why things like precious moments, angels, should not be found in your homes. (laughs) Oh, you can have them. But if I come over, I just might throw it out. Because it's, they're so profoundly unbiblical. Would a precious moments angel ever have to say, fear not? Some of you are mad at me, maybe. A precious moments angel would have to say, do you have a tissue? Uh, so, um, yes, but it's not the angel. Very interesting. And it's not even a negativity in the greeting, Mike. Great observation, yeah. He says, you're favored, you're blessed. This amazing thing's gonna happen. And this is troubling to her. It's not the fear of the ain- Gabriel. It's not the fear of a, a message of dread. It's, it's a fear, no doubt then, of the magnitude and uncertainty of all this entails. And she's, uh, this is a really important point here, Mike is helping us with she's realizing that, okay, I know you're saying I'm favored, but there sounds, it sounds like there's a whole lot of trouble that comes along with being favored here, right? This is not, oh, I will have all these easy earthly blessings. No, she's realizing, whoa, I need to redefine favored. Yeah? Good. What else? Other thoughts? Yes. Yes. Veronica, that's such a great point. I'd read this story so many times, and it wasn't until this week I realized how kind God was. He could have just said, just do it. (laughs) Right? But what does he say? Oh, we're talking about God here. And he doesn't just say that, just trust God's character. He says, I want you to know that have already worked a miracle before this one that's about to happen. It, it, what a, uh, thank you for that excellent observation. She says, he, he says, oh, you know Elizabeth, who was barren well past the age of ever bearing a child? She's pregnant. Six months pregnant. Beautiful. He gives her evidence for future grace right in her life and beyond. So good. He says he could have just said, just do it, or just trust God's character because he can do whatever he wants. He's all powerful. But he throws in a little bit of historical evidence of the power of God and the grace of God. It it really is a beautiful kindness that he shows here. He just inserts that that message of, oh, and what's cool about that is is Elizabeth's an example of a miracle at one end of the spectrum of childbirth that's unlikely, and Mary now will be an evidence of childbirth at the other end of the spectrum as a young girl, right? So you've got this old lady well past the age of childbearing, and a girl's never had sexual intercourse, and she's going to get pregnant. So he says, here's some evidence for you to trust me. Very kind of him, and, and God's a God of history. God's a God who works in history to give us evidence of his character so we can trust him now and for the future. For the future. I think that's a very important thing. I think it's related to what Mike observed, that she's, she's really afraid of this message. I think it's mostly because of the future. What this means, the stigma that comes with this way of having a child. There's a stigma of being an unwed mom in our society, but nothing like in this society. Oh, She was beginning here a most difficult journey. And Jesus then has this same thing. There is no doubt that for their entire lives, rumors and gossip and whispering just swirled around them. Historians tell us that a nickname religious leaders had for Jesus was Yeshua ben Pandera, child of a panther, which was a negative nickname for a Roman soldier. There was always an uncertainty about just who Jesus' father was, and all sorts of rumors. What a difficult uh, blessing to be given. Yeah, great, great, great. Good. What else? Other thoughts? Yeah. Tell me your name. Nate. That's right. Hi, Nate. I can see you. Way to be in the front row. You know, nobody wants a front row. It's just an act of, were you just late? Is that what it was? No. Oh, good. Uh, it was just, yeah, nobody wants front row. It, it's a little too invasive. Like you get spit on. And so thank you for, thank you for taking that. Go ahead, Nate. What do you got? Yes. Yes. So in bringing the ultimate display of Emmanuel God with us, he wants her to be sure that in this, in, in the, the coming of God to be with us, He's with her, particularly here. Good, Nay. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah, Randy. Uh, Mary accepts this proclamation as immediate right now. She's she's not thinking of, oh, you're telling me something's going to happen in the future. Yeah. She's accepting God's proclamation yeah. on His terms and His timing. <laughs> yeah, and, and there's no more important message than that this morning that we are a people who come with our agenda to God even never mind the people at DMV no to God we come with our agenda of how this needs to go and there is a massive transformation in our hearts that needs to take place so it's his agenda that dominates even with all the uncertainty that that has with it for us not for him but for us Yeah, Zachariah. yeah, what do you mean? yeah, which is interesting because he's the old, educated, religious uh, professional. Right? He's the one who should really know better. But here's this amazing, contrasting example of this woman who might have been 15 years old. Who, as we'll see, is deeply biblically informed, though, uh, like Zechariah was, too. But she seems to get it in a way he doesn't. Yeah, good. Excellent. Yeah, Kip. Yep. Uh, you know, Mary asked, how will this happen to me? And, and it's, it's a simple thing. When God calls you to do something, he empowers you. Yeah. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And, you know, the most high will overshadow you. Yeah. And he calls her to a task, and she goes, how will this happen? And then he equips you to be overshadowed. He comes upon you to be able to help you carry out the task that he designed to do. Yeah. And then her willingness to say then let it happen. But right, she, right. Right. Yeah, what God calls you to, he enables. His grace always comes. God says to Adam and Eve right in the garden, before he says, be fruitful and multiply, rule over and subdue, it says, and the Lord bless them. And he said, rule over and multiply, uh, rule, uh, be fruitful and multiply, rule over and subdue. Yeah, the blessing, the enabling, the provision always precedes the command to do it, yeah. Good, excellent, Kip. Thanks. Ben. I think it's so. um, I wonder what Mary must have felt hearing such overwhelming, overwhelmingly exciting news that the Messiah was finally coming after so many years of waiting, even in the confusion of how this is going to happen. Yeah. That the Messiah is finally coming. Yeah. And, and that she, so yeah, God's people had been waiting for millennia for the fulfillment of that promise made in the garden that there would come a seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent and reverse the effects of the curse. And here this woman, who, who is, as we'll see in her Magnificat, is wonderfully biblically informed here. She gets it, and she's, she's swept up into the grand story of salvation history in this pivotal way. What an amazing thing. Lince, yeah. Yes, good. Right, and that's, that's very helpful, Lindsay, to help us realize, okay, this isn't about Mary. This story's not about Mary. It's, it, Mary's helpful to us in the way she, she's able to make it about God and his Christ. Yes, that description of Jesus is just astounding. Who will he be? And another source of faith, too. So it's not just Elizabeth's pregnant, but this one who is coming through you, oh, he is through the Spirit's work, the Son of God. That's who he is. He's the, the, uh, the Most High will overshadow you, and this child will be called Holy, the Son of God. That, that's who he's going to be. So, so it, the result will be glorious and amazing and wonderful, and so what it ends up being is what she needs to be trusting in. Yeah. Good. So good. All right, let's, let's make some, some points. Uh, Here that you've already helped us make. But let's let's just go through this and, and hit some key things here. One, again, Kip just pointed it out actually. The Holy Spirit comes upon her. The Holy Spirit is the person who brings this about. Luke is really serious about helping us see the Spirit's work as the way God sovereignly brings about his purposes. Six times, In key places, the Spirit in chapters one and two alone are, are, is pointed to as the agent, the person of his work. So, so the key element of John the Baptist's ministry is the Spirit is going to be upon him, and then the Spirit makes him aware in the womb of Elizabeth that the Messiah just walked in in the womb of Mary. After our story, after Mary gets pregnant, and then in ch- in chapter two, Jesus is let out. He's anointed by the Spirit for his public ministry, and and. He's led out into the wilderness. So the Spirit's at work in all of this. So spirit dependence is key here. But the Spirit's work is another source of faith for us because God's a sovereign king who actually has this incredible means of carrying out his sovereign work through the Spirit who comes. And when Jesus says to us, it's better that I go or else the comforter won't come, we need to take him at his word and say the Spirit's work in us and through us is better than even having Jesus here in the flesh walking the shores of Galilee. So we're spirit-dependent people. That's the first point we've got to make sure we see. But the second thing is something a couple of you already have pointed out for us too, how unexpected and counterintuitive and in some ways bizarre God's way of doing things is. We're fallen creatures. We're finite creatures. And God consistently says to us things like, my ways aren't your ways. My thoughts aren't your thoughts. My ways are higher than yours. My thoughts are higher than yours. You, you don't naturally do things the way I do. And so being a Christian becomes, means becoming more and more able to, to reconcile God's uh, different ways from the way we would plan things with our agendas. That's exactly it. We come with an agenda and God consistently will say, no, no, no. We'll ask questions and he'll say, no, wrong question. And and he keeps switching the agenda. It's, It's scary how much we validate our subjective personal experience and then impose it on God and his word instead of constantly being conformed to him and his word. If you never read the Bible and are are defied in your expectations, you're just not reading carefully. If God always makes sense to you, you're just not paying attention. Uh, Because you're fallen, you're finite, you're frail, and a massive part of the Christian life is saying, really? A, a, A poor 15-year-old kid in a backwater village. So when the story says that angel Gabriel comes to Galilee, if you understood Galilee, you'd say, why? And then it gets even worse. And in Galilee, came to Nazareth. Triple Y. <laughs> Nazareth, there apparently, we find out in the Gospels, was an expression at the time, does anything good come from Nazareth, that people knew? It wasn't even a nothing place. It was a bad place that you didn't want to be from. And you see God coming to this woman in a place not only people don't care about or know about, and when they do know about it, they don't want anything to do with it. There are all sorts of negativity toward it. Um, so, So what's he doing? Oh, he's doing things so differently than we would. He's constantly switching the agenda. He's got this radically different way of doing things than we would. If you were God, would you come the way he came? Mild he lays his glory by. Where he does it in a way with shepherds and animals. Look, if you were God and you were going to come to earth, would manure be included in the scene? No. I went to an event at Biola last night, a Christmas event, and it was wonderful. And I'm all for these kinds of events, and I, especially when I get invited. And, and, and it was great, and it was nice and beautiful, and it was decorated, and there were candles, and there was beautiful music. And, and I, I thought at one moment, this is absolutely nothing like the Christmas scene. <laughs> not that I'm not all for it, but we can get deluded into thinking that the Christmas story is this story with beautiful strings and and candles and garlands instead of manure and animals and blood and sweat and tears. It was filled with anguish and difficulty and challenge. And like Mike says, she says, I'm really fearful of this blessing. I'm just not sure about your ways because, because this sounds like it's going to be incredibly difficult and it is highly favored one i guess we need to change the definition of favored to include difficulty great difficulty to be blessed by god to be favored by god to be loved by god in this fallen world on the way to the freedom from sin and difficulty includes a whole lot of sin and difficulty it includes lots of battles and scars and wounds and difficulties and need for faith, deep need for faith, every day. And maybe the hardest thing about life is that we don't even know what tomorrow holds. We might be just cruising circumstantially, and that can all do a 180 tomorrow. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you've experienced that sort of dramatic turn in your life. And those times you realize, wow, I've come to realize I've been banking on my circumstances and my 401k and my clean bill of health and my relational health in my family. and, And suddenly the bottom drops out and we get a little diagnostic on the reality of our faith. And we we need to be so ready for God to do things so differently than we would do if we were God. And so we submit to him and his ways. And being a child of God and a servant of the king is a great privilege and a great blessing, but it comes with difficulty, and we like to tell the truth at this church. And many churches, especially in America, will tell you that become a Christian and life will get easy. That's just a lie from the pit of hell. All you need to do is read your Bible, and you'll find out that's not true. And all you need to do is pay attention for 10 minutes and you'll say, that's not true. you got to live in massive denial if you believe in this health-wealth gospel. You really do. And so the, the Christian life in many ways gets much harder when you become a Christian. You enter a battle and join an army you weren't in before. And you have battles and enemies now you didn't have before like you do now. And so we need to know that in many ways, like for Mary... Life got way harder when she became the favored one of God. And she was favored. She was amazingly blessed. And I've often thought, wow. I actually think of everybody in the gospel story, the one I would want to be most is Simon of Cyrene. This black man from Africa who helped Jesus carry his cross. But real close is Mary is kind of strange to think about but but uh to to give birth to the son of god the the divine eternal son become a man what an incredible thing but do you know i believe that mary's greatly blessed but i believe that the children of god who become sons of god through her son are more blessed than mary I believe that what what Mary enables to happen through her submissive yielding brings about a reality that is far more wonderful than giving birth to the Messiah. That we become children of God. That's that's what John says in John 1. He He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to be the children of God. To be the mother of Jesus is not as great a blessing as it is to be a child of God, a co-heir with the Son of God, in union with him. What Mary got and what we get through Jesus is better than what Mary was able to do. And Jesus puts this in perspective, doesn't he? Uh, Mary didn't know. She didn't know what this would mean, and I think the uncertainty is the greatest fear for her here. She didn't know, at least until Simeon shows up a while later in the temple in chapter 2, and says, oh, this is the Messiah, and they know this, but then he says, and he'll cause the rising and falling of many, and he'll crush some as he lifts others up, and this baby, he looks at Mary, says, will cause a piercing of your own soul, like a dagger right in your heart. And throughout her life, the picture becomes more clear about how hard this really is. I don't believe here she knew what she came to know. I don't think she knew that she would actually think her son had lost his mind at one point. Where she and his, uh, his siblings are outside the house and the people come and say, Oh, your family thinks you've lost your mind and would like you to leave and stop this. Do you know what Jesus says? He says, who's my family? Who is my mother and my brothers and sisters? It's he who knows the word of God and obeys it. Who knows my word and obeys it. Those who align themselves by faith with me, that's my real family. Isn't it amazing that Jesus had an earthly family? A a father who adopted him. And so much so that Jesus gets his Davidic lineage from his adoptive father. And he provides an earthly family, but as glorious and wonderful as that is, Jesus puts things in perspective and says, No, my real family are those who hear my word and put it into practice and believe it. Those who are co-heirs with him then, have union with him through faith, become far more blessed than even Mary in this incredible miracle. And so if you've never trusted Jesus, please realize that you can be as blessed as you possibly can be. That includes difficulty in this life, but on the way to every tear being gone, and every sin being crushed, and every evil being vanquished one day. In Christ. That's what he accomplishes when we turn from self and sin to Jesus' blood and righteousness. Make this the morning, please, if you've never done that. And so this incredible work comes about in such unexpected ways. And it it, it gives Mary this, this ability to submit, this, this faith she has based on God's character and the evidence of that character in human history, the history of Israel. I mean, look at how aware of God's word and his promises in the history of Israel she is in her beautiful magnificat, this worshipful expression of gratitude, beginning in verse 47. She says, after she visits Elizabeth, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Listen to her boast in God. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and and holy is his name and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy And as he spoke to our fathers to Abraham and his offspring and to him forever. You know, that just reminded me, uh, so we don't go away hungry tonight, Joe wants to make sure we announce you need to bring desserts for our reception after. I just saw Joe over there. He asked me to do that before. So yes, bring desserts, bring them to the East Sanctuary before the members meeting, if that helps. Good, Joe. All right. Um, But but what I don't want you to miss is this spirit-enabled, Scripture-saturated expression of faith and gratitude that Mary gives for us here it's beautiful humility, beautiful submission based on God's sovereign grace. And she's finding freedom in becoming a slave. It's slavery that leads to freedom. She says, I'm a bond slave. That's a better translation. I'm a slave. I, I'm, I don't think servant like in a tuxedo bringing you brandy. No, think of a slave shackled to the master. This, she no longer has a will of her own. Her will has now been joined to the will of her master in a very real way. She's a bond slave, a bond servant, and in this she finds freedom and joy and expression and worship. This submission understands that God is who he says he is and God will come through in his promises. And so this becomes right at the heart of the Christian life. And all the freedom the world promises just makes us a slave to the world. Linking ourself, where we surrender our beloved rights and, and relinquish them to the master, the king, and become the, the bond slaves of the master, that brings real freedom. The world's promise of freedom brings nothing but death and slavery. But slavery to Jesus brings a real freedom. And it's all based, as we said before, in faith and future grace. Based on the fact that God's been so good. God's shown himself over and over again to be faithful, to be powerful, to be wise, to be gracious. We trust him. We trust him for right now. We trust him for the future. Listen to J.C. Ryle. Faith never rests so calmly and peacefully as when it lays its head on the pillow of God's omnipotence, <laughs> is that great? The pillow of God's omnipotence. Oh, that's where we rest our faith—not in the fact that we're certain of tomorrow, which we never are—but on the certainty of God's power and wisdom and grace and everything that's true of Him. The sovereignty of God is, is the key to the whole thing—that He's King. He's ruling, he's reigning, he will accomplish all he sets his mind to. And this shows up in all sorts of ways. It shows up in this crazy practice Christians have of writing checks and making deposits and taking out their wallets and giving money to things that have no direct personal benefit to you and your security and your stuff. And and they give things away, time and money and effort and all sorts. They give stuff, Christians give stuff away because we have faith in future grace. Not once we get the next 50 years all secure financially and then give. No, we give when we're not sure exactly how it's all going to work out of our time and energy and effort and everything. Do you know that in the last 50 years, all the research says Christians have become far more affluent, especially in the West, than they've ever been in all of our history? Far more, amazingly more wealthy than we than Christians have ever been. Christians have mostly been poor. And we're far more wealthy than we've ever been, and we are increasingly stingy. We give less and less as our wealth grows. It's just statistically true. The most generous people are the poorest people. Yeah, and percentage is key here, but yeah, generosity does not increase with affluence. It's just the opposite. It makes sense though, doesn't it? Because the more stuff I have, the more inclined I am to depend on my stuff. Less stuff I have, the more inclined I am to depend on God in the absence of stuff. And it's got to show up in all sorts of ways in our lives because you don't know what tomorrow holds. In about a month, we're going to, uh, this is my family. Uh, oh, no, wait, no, let me, let me back up and go here. This is a man named Walter Warcantine. Um, He's the founder of Hume Lake Christian Camp. Who's been to Hume Lake? Who knows people who've been impacted at Hume Lake? Yeah, this guy started Hume Lake Christian Camps, which is now Hume San Diego and Hume, um, Hume New England now, and he started Christian Camping International. Do you know how he had this massive impact? Do you know what he did for a job? He was a farmer in the Fresno area. And on the way home this summer, we stopped to see Walter Warkentine. He turned 99 this week that we went to see him. And on his 99th birthday, he wanted to go up to Hume Lake to watch Junior High Recreation. That's how he wanted to spend his 99th birthday. And that's what he did. And I heard his story, and we went and we stopped to, to spend some time with him and his family, who are pictured there with us, just wonderful people. But, but we, I, I heard his story, and do you know how it all happened? You won't believe it. He was in 10th grade. And his 10th grade math teacher, I see you, D, 10th grade math teacher in a public school comes up to Walt Dean and says, Walt, you got the wrong friends. You need a better group of friends to hang out with. You're going to get in trouble if you keep this up. And you, you got to change your friends. And I think you need to start meeting with me and some other young guys to pray on Saturday mornings. So he said, Okay. And Walt and and his his math teacher and some younger guys started meeting and they started praying on Sunday mornings, on Saturday mornings. And this went on for years. And they prayed for each other, but the prayers consistently got bigger and bigger and they started eventually praying for revival in the Fresno area, that whole valley up there. And they eventually got to the conclusion that they needed to start five ministries to help bring revival. A Christian radio station, which they did, which is still one of the most significant in that area, a Christian bookstore, which is still one of the biggest, it is the biggest, the Fresno books, and and, and a Christian publishing company, which they did, which is still a massively influential Christian publishing company, and uh, a Christian distribution company for literature, and a Christian camp. And they said, how are we going to do this? And John, the math teacher, said, "Um, let's throw the five ministries in a hat, pray over it, and then each pick one out and then we'll lead, we'll lead that ministry. And they said, okay. And they do. They threw the five in. The five guys picked him out. Walt picked Christian Camp. He's a farmer. He says, I have no idea what this even means or where this is going to be or how this could possibly happen. They continue to pray. About a year later, he goes Uh, He finds out that a lumber company's going out of business up in the mountains, way far away from the city, so hard to get their stupid place to start a camp. But they go up, way too expensive. They pray, they lower the price, they buy the thing. They start the camp. Francis, his wife, is in charge of all the food of the staff and the campers, and she oversees staff. The first summer, there were 250 students, and, and they start this camp. He's a farmer. I said, Walter, how'd you end up making ends meet? He said, a whole lot of night farming. I said, how do you night farm? He said, there are headlights on the tractors. (laughs) I thought to myself, if we were going to start a ministry today, how would we do it? Well, first, we would do a strategic plan we would hire people for lots of money to do some strategic planning for us. And then we would take gifts assessment surveys and we would take personality inventories. Then we'd, decide, we'd put all the introverts over here, all the extroverts over here, decide job descriptions for them. And then we would do all these things to say, well, here's my job description in my ministry. Here, here Lord, may, please fulfill this. They pulled ministries out of a hat. <laughs> okay, Christian camp, I'm a farmer, but here we go. I, I feel like we become different people. We just don't think that way anymore. Oh, no, no, that's not for me. No, that's, that's not really my passion. It wasn't his either. It became his passion. God worked in his life. He became wonderfully self-forgetting and God-dependent as a result. And we all have these things, don't we? In, a, in about a month, we're going to go pick this kid up. Oh, no, that, that's my family. Oh, aren't we happy? We never argue. We never have conflict. The father never gets impatient and angry. He never raises his voice. Yes. Aren't we happy and beautiful? Oh, about 10% of the time, especially at church when we dress up. Yeah, so, yeah, there we are. In about a month, we're getting this kid. He's eight. His name's Isaac. Sam named him. And his main name means laughter, which Sam was adamant about. Can, do you have any idea how this is going to blow everything up? It's going to blow everything up. Somebody said to me the other day, it was so disturbing. They said, do you know, when you get your fourth child, it will create 36 new relationships in your family. (laughs) It's true, isn't it? It's true. Six times six. My relationship with Donna will be different. And my relationship with him now is going to be in there. And all all six of us are going to have different relationships with each other. Oh! (laughs) This is just amazing. How in the world could this ever happen? Well, God is powerful and he's gracious. And whatever happens, whatever comes our way, he'll be there. He'll be with us. He'll take care of us. Some of you heard that Brian and Leah got engaged. There they are. Yay. Yes. Yes. We're happy for you, Brian. And I'm glad you know that you have no idea what you're getting yourself into. I I know... I know, because we have 36 new relationships. How many will they have? What's seven times seven? Right? 49 new relationships starting in a while. Say again. Yeah, well, five kids, two, two adults. Yeah. Oh, wow. How in the world could anybody get married? Are you single and you want to be married? <laughs> you have no idea what you're asking for, Right? But we don't need to be commitment phobic. We don't need to be fearful. We don't need to be anxious. We don't need to be stingy. We don't need to uh, be so concerned about tomorrow because guys, whether it's marriage or kids or a diagnosis that just came back or that hasn't come back yet or a job that just ended, Or even blessings like a graduation about to happen without knowing what's after that. Or a relationship that just started to crumble or an adolescent who just became a different person than they were last month. Or there's strife now in the marriage that seemed to be okay. There's sin back that you thought you had a handle on. Whatever it is, whatever, whatever it is, He's with us. The Spirit's at work enabling us. He gives us one another. He gives us thousands of years of a track record of faithfulness. He gives us one another to learn from like Mary learned from Elizabeth's experience, right? Isn't it great? We have vicarious faith. We watch God work in other people's lives and we get bolstered and that's why the Fellowship of the Saints is such a necessary spiritual discipline. We gather and gain faith from God's faithfulness in one another's lives. And we encourage each other and cheer each other on along the way. God's good. God's faithful. God's wise. God's powerful. And we can walk into whatever, whatever comes tomorrow with hope, with confidence, with joy, and we help each other along the way. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for Jesus. We're grateful for the hope we have in Jesus. We're grateful for your sovereign grace and your wise power. We're thankful that we have greater blessing and favor than Mary had as children of the Most High King through her child. Help us, Lord, to live out our faith in whatever ways we are fearful. I pray that you would be working so that we become fearless and faithful, and joyful, and hopeful, in a way that makes people who don't know Jesus scratch their heads and say, I want what you have. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen.